Hi, this is Doug Jones, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I know! Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give me witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. I missed that. I missed that, and I missed you all. From the virtual greenhouse and studio deep in the underground living quarters in the intergalactic lobster refinery in Poncho Plaza in Area 51, hello and welcome to TalkCast 278, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Enjoying a virtual vodka martini with a dash of artificial cholesterol and a soy olive, I'm the Lando Kardashian of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I'm the Dome. Joining the podcast tonight, some of our cast, because some of us are traveling this week, and I think we'll know who, because I probably won't introduce her. In the Revere Time Vortex, our, sec- our, our technical anarchist, running everything behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, and pushing people's virtual buttons whenever she can, it's our own girl genius, Kriana. I do my best. Nicely done. From the stacks of her personal space in the Dank Dungeons Indoor Zen Library and Garden, displaying the most complete and finest pseudo-sand collection in three galaxies, our own Sombrarian. It's robot story time today. And so there's a baby robot here for story time. (laughs) So if you hear anything weird, that's what's up. It's the baby robot. Weird or baby sounding. If there's anything baby sounding, it's a robot. And if there's something cat sounding, it's a robot. Oh, perfect. There, there are several robot cats in the dungeon reading room. Perfect. <laughs> Joining us tonight are two, two, two guests in one. We're actually two guests in two. So we're going to start the show. Awkward. I know, but hey, who does awkward better than me? Seriously. <laughs> if I find someone, I'll let you know. Please do. Gary Summers from Northeast Comic Con, which is happening this weekend. Gary, welcome to the show, my friend. Aloha, kitties! <laughs> are we ready to go this weekend? I am. I hope you are. I mean, there's a lot to do, a lot to see, a lot to experience. So you have to have very comfortable walking shoes. And enjoy. You got to just come there with the attitude ready to enjoy because there's so much to do. So let's talk about uh, some of the guests who are going to be there and also uh, some of the panels that are going to be going on. You got it. Of course, our guest of honor is the bat himself, Adam West, Mayor Batman or Mayor West or whatever you want to refer to him. Adam (laughs) West is... uh, coming to celebrate the 50th anniversary of filming the first episode of Batman. So not only is he going to just be meeting people and signing autographs and doing photo ops, which every celebrity does everywhere, Adam is going to have a couple of 
chances to talk about what it was like to be chosen to be Batman and to film that first episode. And we're actually having a special VIP event Saturday night for Adam and a hundred of his closest paying friends uh, to come and and experience Adam talk. Everybody gets a photo op. Everybody gets to play on the Starship Horizon bridge simulator. Everybody gets to play pup with the puppets, uh, Audrey too, and stuff like that. Lots of activities at the VIP event. But Adam West will then introduce the first episode, and we're going to watch the first episode of Batman on two giant screen 1980s antique television sets. Just like if you were in your parents' basement and you were watching it on UHF, okay? Does that so include smellovision? Is there smellovision involved? Depends on who's sitting next to you. Good answer. <laughs> So it's going to be a really fun event. So Adam will be signing autographs and doing a panel during the daytime. And during the VIP event, it's photo ops and schmooze. Uh, Adam will also be doing photo ops during the daytime both days in front of a green screen so you can pick any backdrop you wanted and also at the Batmobile. So you have two choices of uh, photo ops. Um, so Adam's there, it's the, we're celebrating Batman, and that's a major comic book aspect of the DC Universe. And of course, then to counterbalance that correctly, in the known universe, we have the Marvel legend, uh, Jim Steranko, as our artist guest of honor. And Steranko's famous for many things. He was an escape artist and magician in the 1950s, and then discovered a career in art working for Marvel Comics, where he helped define uh, the 1960s Captain America. He kind of helped create Nick Fury and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, along with, uh, you know, he did Avengers and X-Men. And he's just, you know, he's a brilliant, brilliant artist, but also a really nice guy to talk to and funny and personable. And he'll be there uh, also as a special guest. And then we added Gigi Edgley from Farscape for you sci-fi folks. Uh, Gigi was uh, Chiana, and uh, she still looks just as beautiful as she did as an alien. And she's also the host of... <laughs> and uh, she's just Jim as smart Henson. as she was then, too. Exactly. Truly, because she hosts Jim Henson's Creature Shop Challenge, which is where they make Muppets. And it's really awesome. It's on Sci-Fi Channel, or is it called Sippy now? Either way, uh, we have a huge Muppets element with Noel McNeil from uh, Bear in the Big Blue House. And He's Leslie just as Carrera beautiful Rudolph. as I remember, you know. <laughs> What's that? Your memory's that good? Yeah, he's just as beautiful as I remember. No, the bear is beautiful. I don't know. No, I could give or take him. <laughs> but the bear, now that's beautiful. And the relationship between the bear and the mouse... That's sincerely beautiful. Yeah, it was, gotta, it was a very special whole. romance there. Absolutely. I never understood romance. it, but I didn't question it. So you're going, you're going to that. also have a, a Jim Henson panel. Right. Part of the, you know, the family-friendly freakazoid show that we are, we're having a Jim Henson panel because we have Bill Diamond, who did the uh, puppets for... Um, uh, Fraggle Rock and Dark Crystal and 
uh, Gigi, who did the challenge, and also Farscape, and Noel, and then we've, we've added Leslie Carrera Rudolph, who is Abby Kadabi on Sesame Street, who just got her own little area on the, on the neighborhood. So uh, Leslie will be there also, and so we're going to talk about puppeteering. Could you imagine any of you guys... If somebody would have told you when you were in high school, you know, you could have a career as a puppeteer, would you have said, hmm, that sounds interesting. I think I'll go ahead and do that. Probably. Well, I think it's a good career. Uh, yeah, it's worked out well for a lot of these people. I feel like I would yeah. have gone with, okay, sounds good. Where do I sign up? Please, right, yes, but get me you there. didn't know that the. You didn't even know the job existed. So part of what we do with these shows is we try and show the next generation that all of these things are jobs in the future. Making video games, making video game music, costumes, masks, play. Everything can be a career, a job, instead of you don't have to go work at McDonald's. You can be an author. You can be a... a, a a filmmaker. We actually have a panel on what the heck is an executive producer anyway, because we brought in executive producers to tell people that, you know, the jobs in the entertainment industry are all encompassing. You could have a podcast, you could be on radio, you could be in film, you could be anything you imagine now. I, f- I feel you like know? executive so, producers are the people who are like, dude, do your job, get this done. <laughs> No, the executive producer really has to find somebody to fund the whole imagination process. That's like the hardest part of it. Who's going to pay for this? And then now that you're responsible for my money, now, you know, so there's a lot of things in executive producing anything that most people don't think about in the psychological sense, but realistically, it's a top-down management thing, and... How do you do it with a bunch of creative people? Oh, well, I think it should be this way, you know? You have to be very skilled at uh, I mean, otherwise, otherwise, you end up with five writers on Electra and no one's happy. No one is happy. <laughs> no one is happy. Battle. Exactly. It's... So that's a bad executive producer. Somebody Who was that? Fired. Can we shame them by name? I'm, <laughs> no, gonna, we I'm totally finding this. <laughs> Who was the executive so producer of you could be an exe- You could be an executive producer. I don't think I'd be a good one, though. Well, it takes practice. You lose a lot of money for a long period of time. First. <laughs> but it, you know, it's interesting because mm. they brought in the executive producer of Transformers, Robots in Disguise, the animated series, and he had produced Dragon Tales and Jackie Chan Mysteries Animated and Men in Black. I like the Jackie Chan Adventures. He used to watch those was, Saturday. All right, all right. So I've got this here. Executive producers of Electra. You did a bad job, Stan Lee. <laughs> you did a bad job, Brent O'Connor. And also, Mark Steven Johnson, for shame. Whoever they were. Three names. You gotta always watch out for well, those. Well, you know, Stanley. Bad job. Stanley is the executive producer of any Marvel. <laughs> just well, kind of comes. Say, he gets his cameo, and that's his executive producing. It works. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if if that was his entire job, I guess he did a pretty decent job. So. He, right, right. That's cameo. all he had to do. You know, the other two, Brent and Mark. Shame on you. 
<laughs> you lost Shame. somebody some money. <sighs> so the what other is- executive producer we have is Vivek Tiwari, who um, won the Eisner Award last year for his graphic novel, uh, The Fifth Beetle, about Brian Epstein, the manager of the Beatles. And it was just announced that that book is being turned into a film and Vivek is an executive producer, and he's producing with Simon Cowell from whatever show he did. Oh, and, uh They actually got the rights to the Beatles' music for wow, the first time. Cool. A film now, about now, wait the a minute, wait a minute. Music. What's the appropriate British word for Simon Cowell? I'm thinking CAD. Is CAD an appropriate word for Simon Cowell? CAD, well, yeah. I, I can't think of a nicer one, but I can think of a lot of less nice ones. I think we'll go with CAD on this one. How's okay. Family-friendly show. No one knows what CAD it's means. Really it's really not. It's really not a family-friendly show. But there are, yeah, baby, just, there, there are baby robots in the audience tonight. Must be careful. So you know what the baby robots will really like at the Northeast Comic Con? Please tell us. The Geek Beat Radio stage. Oh, the Geek ho, ho. Beat Radio stage is going to have all these awesome chiptune artists performing with devices, robotic-like devices. Wait a minute. And what is a chiptune artist? You don't know what a chiptune artist is? I don't. Is? Tell, it's for all the baby robots out there, tell us. Well, chiptune artists use uh, Nintendos and, and to- uh, Game Boys and things like that to make music, and they put it through devices, and they make tunes, and the, the loop stuff, and effects, and a lot of it's pretty fun and funny, and a lot of great musicians are creating new sounds that are kind of robotic sounding, uh, if you, you check it out, you should listen to some of the artists on, on our, on our uh, show, on the Geek Beat stage, just, it'll blow your mind, and, and, they're also, some of them will be performing at our after party at the Crown Plaza with Human Wine, which is more of like a steampunk weird thing, and uh, Walter Sickert and the Army of Broken Toys, which is very much psychedelic steampunk. And then we have some chiptune artists to open up the show, and Spider Cult, the musical teaser, and maybe even a couple of extra surprises musically. You know, if you like music, we got music. And what what would a comic con be if you didn't have comics? We have comics. We have twenty stand up comics. Wait a minute. Yes, ma'am. Am I pausing? No. Well, I'm confused. Well, comics Whoa. usually refer to the drawn kind, not the stand up. So where are the stand ups oh. going to be? So so wait, they're life size well, comic found- books. No, we found 20 nerds that do stand-up comedy. These are total geeked-out nerds. These people, the comedy that these people do is the future of comedy. It may be bad, but, you know, some of it's going to be really good. It's it's headlined by Ken Reed, and Ken Reed is just brilliant. Uh, you know, he looks like Jimmy Neutron, but he's smarter than that, and Jimmy was pretty smart. Uh, so Ken Reed, Julie McCullough from Growing Pains and, uh, um, Sharknado will do stand-up comedy also and 18 young, you know, comic wannabes. It's going to be great. Now, let me ask, are they going to, are they going to actually be in, uh, on the floor as well? 
No, on stage. We have a, you know, I don't know if you guys came last time, but we have this place called the Fez Room. Now, it has nothing to do with yeah. Doctor Who because it's a Shriners, but everybody wears a Fez. So please wear your own Fezes. Um, the Fez Room will have the uh, Fez Room stage, which has uh, uh, Morgan White Jr. doing trivia, nerd trivia, and then we have stand-up comedy. We have live music from The World is Square, which is a, a group that does music from Square Enix video games. And we have a young singer named Emery who does solo singing. She's pretty pretty cool. And uh, and then stand up comics, uh, two shows a day in stand up comics on that stage. Next to that stage is Bill Diamond with the Audrey Two puppet from uh, from Little, Little Shop of Horror, so you can pose with that and a whole bunch more puppets. And also in that room is the Bridge Simulators. Now, for you sci-fi guys, we have the Starship Horizon Bridge Simulators, where two teams of five people compete to complete a mission on real freaking simulators. Giant screens, all the controls on the computers, pretty awesome. And it's included in admission. Everybody gets to play. You just go in there, sign up for your time, bring your five people, be there, play, enjoy. Now, Northeast Comic Con is located in Wilmington, Massachusetts, which is 20 minutes north of Boston, maybe 40 minutes south of Manchester, New Hampshire, really centrally located. It's a wonderful facility. I, I, like, uh, how, I like how you, you do your directions based on Manchester. It's a little west of Boston. I said it was 20 minutes north of Boston. Oh. It's, it's kind of west, day. though. Well, no, it's north. A... It's right in. It's right on Route 93, right between the right that road that goes from Manchester to Boston. It's right on that road, exit 39, off of Route almost, 93. And did we mention free parking? Free parking. I was parking? just about to mention that because you know what? Money that you don't have to spend on parking is money you can buy cool stuff with. That's the news. So you come in there with almost, money to spend. There's always cool stuff there. It's Saturday, June 20th, Sunday, June 21st. Doors open at 10 a.m. Saturday, they close at 6, Sunday at 5. Sunday is Father's Day. Bring Dad. Have fun. This is a great show. Gary, this will be the, the second year that we've been there, and uh, we're really looking forward to it. Now, and I want to thank you for inviting us. Guaranteed not boring and free parking. You don't usually get both. <laughs> Go to the website. Yeah, if you get free parking, normally, normally it's a snoozer if you got free parking. Right. Exactly. Not so the case we, this time. Anybody that comes that's bored, you let me know. I'll make sure you, I find something for you to do. You will not be bored. And all Go you to the website. Do, all you have to do is look for the guy in the Hawaiian shirt. That's scary. I'm not hard to find. <laughs> I got orange shoes on. Gary, thank you so much for joining us, man, and we'll see you this weekend. Aloha! All right, take it easy. Thank you so much, man. Yep. I get it. It means hello and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and now on to no, the we're, rest of the... I was going to say, we're not doing the news, but I'll play no. the thing anyway. Now we've got a good transition. Well, at least it's transition, but we're not going to actually do news. I know. 
because joining us for the second half of the show is Ron Garner from Silence in the Library Publishing. Hey, Ron. Hey, how's it going, guys? That, that was a fun 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, no, I actually, I've never seen guy's... Gary inhale. Yeah, no, so... that guy's nonstop energy. Although, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in that whole uh, music from, uh, from video games thing. I... I'm pretty sure that the sounds that I create after using video game consoles for a while just evolved down to grunts. <laughs> so, so I think it's got to be better than that, hopefully. So, go ahead, Creona. You were going to say something, or you were just inhaling? Uh? Oh. Uh. Publishing! Anthologies Publishing. are great! Anthologies are awesome. So yeah, so I, I guess uh, I guess we're here to talk about our uh, latest anthology project, right? Tell me we about know. that. And it's right. sitting starter, and we have the links for it. And the anthology is called Monsters! Exclamation point. Yes, Monsters! Exclamation point, because you always need an exclamation point when you're talking about monsters. Um, how did this, no, it's how did this one come about. So, you know, each year we do, uh, we take the, I don't know if you guys know about Origins Game Fair, which is a big convention that happens every year, um, primarily a gaming convention, but they have this thing called the library where they invite a bunch of authors to come in. And uh, w what the authors do is they each give a story to Origins to put into an anthology. And, uh, and that anthology then becomes a convention exclusive. And we have, uh, for the last three years, we've taken those uh, Origins anth exclusive anthologies, which are limited to a pr print run of, you know, a couple hundred. And, uh, and we have taken them. We've uh, put more stories in them. Uh, we've done some, some work on the stories that were already in them. And then we've uh, put artwork with each of the stories, brought in really great artists to, to illustrate them, and then, you know, given them new covers, kind of created a, uh, a, an edition that's going to go out to the, to the mass market and it's going to be a really cool uh, enhanced edition of that. And, uh, and we run Kickstarters for them every year. And that's, that's where, we're, where we're at. This year's, uh, well, last year's theme was Monsters. Um, and now we're running a Kickstarter to get that out there in the hands of, uh, in the hands of more people. Um, and it's really great, you know, in a couple of ways. Number one, it's really great because it gives people who didn't have a chance to go to Origins a chance to get the stories. It gives us a chance to bring in authors who, authors who didn't have a chance to go to Origins and be a part of it. And, you know, it, it, these authors, they, uh, you know, let's face it, most authors are not making tons of money and, uh, and living a, the, the high life. So it allows, uh, it allows them to make a little bit of money, not a ton, but a little bit of money off of these stories that they've given for free to uh, to Origins for their anthology. All of those are uh, good things, I think. Oh, it's always nice when, when somehow you can find a workaround so that an author gets paid for their work. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really, I, I did not realize until I got into the publishing industry, and you know, I kind of, I kind of got pulled into this whole publishing thing, uh, by Mike Stackpole and Aaron Austin and Gene Raby. They, uh, they kind of created this, uh, um, it, it was a cabal. It was the Mike Stackpole, <laughs> Aaron Austin, Gene Raby cabal to get me involved in publishing, um, and, uh, which, which makes me sound w way cooler than I actually am. Um, and 
they, uh, I, I didn't realize until I got deep into this, you know, a couple of years ago that, you know, there's a, a lot of times authors, particularly on anthologies, authors just don't ever make any money, right? They just never see a return from the stories that they put out there for anthologies because, the, because of the way that most anthologies are funded. I mean, most anthologies, um, the, the publishers will, uh, will, you know, say, hey, listen, you're going to get a share of the of the the royalties on this but anthologies out in the wild maybe don't sell as well as they do in places like uh like Kickstarter. So this kind of gives a gives us a chance to you know to support your uh your your local author who, you know, is out there busting their their, their rear end to to put out some good stories and to, you know to, to keep doing this as a career because they love it. And there are I'm guessing some authors involved in this anthology who weren't in the original one so you've added so, a couple extra yeah we've added some great authors um so we've got what we call stretch goal authors so on on kickstarters you uh, you start out with a base goal and then and then you you create stretch goals above that base goal to kind of push the project higher and higher and what we love to do is to add authors in and and some of them are really well-known authors and then some of them are you know, new authors that we're, we, we're trying to introduce to people. So, for instance, as stretch goal authors, we've got New York Times bestselling author Beth Ravis is one of our stretch goal authors, right? Um, what a terrible idea that was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, she totally doesn't fit. Totally. So, so we've, got, we've also got uh, John Hartness, uh, who most people who are kind of interested in the uh, – the monster theme there may have heard of because he's uh, he's got a lot of books out that are very popular in that in that arena. We've got uh, we've got uh, new authors. We've got a, a young lady uh, named Marcia Collette who is uh, who is actually somebody who submitted a story for our Athena's Daughters anthology, and uh, we didn't include the, the the story in Athena's Daughters not because it wasn't a great story, but because it, it just didn't fit once we had. Fit once we had put the pieces of the anthology together, is you know an anthology is not just about how good the stories are; it's it's about how well they fit together and how well they flow. Um, so we luckily were able to take that story, which was an amazing story, um, and we talked to Marcia and, and she agreed to include it as a stretch goal for for monsters. So so we've got about. Oh, uh, we've got about six or seven stretch goal authors that we're adding in. Gail Z. Martin, who is just an amazing author, um, and a ton of others. But but yeah, we've got we've got some great stretch goals, some great authors that we're adding in, and uh, we're really excited about that. I think it's going to be a it's going to be a really good anthology. You know, I I don't I don't you know there are, there are, there's subject matter out there maybe that that generally catches the eye more than than monster stories, right? People tend to love the 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 general categories of of fantasy and science fiction but i just i just love the stories that are in this and i the artwork that we're getting we we got this art, artist named uh david montgomery to do the artwork that was going to be my next question in the original uh book that was was done for the convention this artwork wasn't part of it yeah there's no there's no artwork in the in the convention anthology and you know how I mean, you guys have had a, had me on several times, and you know we love to do we love to add in artwork to these things, and uh, and that's what that's what we've done. We went out, we 
we always try, I mean, not that I don't like working, you know, finding artists, working with them on multiple projects, but I also like to introduce new things. And we found this guy, uh, David Montgomery, out of, uh, out of Utah, amazing artist, and his, his artwork really fits in well to the whole, you know, the whole horror slash monsters thing. So we're really excited about that. You can see, and you can see all of that. Uh, you can see examples of his artwork on the, uh, on the, the, the Kickstarter page. So it's, it's really, I, I just, you know, I love, we do a lot of different projects. We've, particularly on Kickstarter, I mean, heck, we've run, I, I think this is our 12th Kickstarter in, in, in two years. Um, and, uh, and we run a lot of them. We do a lot of different things. We've, uh, you know, novels, graphic novels. Uh, we just recently did a, uh, a, a, a master's edition of uh, Pride and Prejudice by James right. Illustrated by Janet Lee, which I thought was an amazing coup because she is just an amazing artist. Um, but uh, these the, the anthology projects are by far my favorite, uh, just because I like the idea of, you know, it's just neat to introduce authors uh, and, and a group of authors to, to readers who may not have had an opportunity to see them before. And it's, it's cool to kind of bring in artists to, 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 you know, to bring those stories alive in pictures as well. So... Really fun projects. So one of the things that I've noticed is that your Kickstarters differ from a lot of other Kickstarters that I've that I've actually participated in, as as well as uh, backed. In that, you have an awful lot of reward levels but not a lot of really expensive reward levels. So how do, you, how do you plan that out? How do you make that work? So I, I, here's my general goal when I'm putting together a, a Kickstarter, and that is I want to make the stuff accessible, right? I, I mean, I, I don't – listen, I, making money is great. Don't, don't get me wrong. If, if I could make a million dollars a year, you know, publishing, then – then life would be great. And, and by the way, you know, that, that, that old adage, how do you make a uh, small fortune in publishing, you start with a large fortune, is absolutely true. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, it's unfortunately true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you know what? You don't do it for the money. You do it because you enjoy doing it. And that means if you're doing it for that reason, then you want to make the product as, success, as, as accessible to people, as many people as possible, right? And I've found that the way to do that is to give people options at, a, at an affordable level. Now, we also have the, the higher level options because there, there are always people who want those things. But, you know, you got to, it's interesting. You know, Kickstarter, when I, the first time I did a Kickstarter, I read all of the, uh, the Kickstarter advice on their website and and one of their big pieces of advice at the time, and I don't know if it's still out there, but one of their big pieces of advice at the time was, you know, have a level around, 20, around $25 because that's the average amount that, that, that people contribute to projects, right? Um, and, I, you know, so, so what's the, the takeaway from that? Well, the, the takeaway from that is that people want to participate but, you know, let's face it, most of us are not in the 1%, right? I mean, otherwise it wouldn't be called the 1%. So, <laughs> so, 
So, you know, you got to make things accessible to people at, at a decent price. I, I think that part of the contract that a, that a Kickstarter uh, creator, a project creator, kind of enters into with, with their, with, you know, backers on Kickstarter is that, uh, that you're going to give them good value, right? You're going to give them something good, something great, but you're going to do it at a price that mean that that makes it valuable at a price point that makes it valuable right you're getting value out of it you're not milk you're not trying to milk people you're not trying to get more than is reasonable you're trying to create the pro make the project happen and um as long as you make enough money to make the project happen and uh and give people good value i think uh i think you're going to be successful one of the things that um I like that that you guys do is that after a project is funded and the rewards are sent out, you keep your clients involved. Yeah. You, it, it's, it's, it's a great thing that I don't see a lot of other people who are doing multiple Kickstarters over the years do. I mean, I don't get that email from them saying, here's something else coming out that you might be interested in. Yeah, uh, you know. Go ahead. I'm, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. But what, what I really liked is that even though I've, gosh, I think I've, I've supported seven or eight of your Kickstarters <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I, when I started counting it up, I just kind of went, Oh my God, I've done that much. I mean, <laughs> Kickstarter can really become an addiction after a while. Oh my gosh. But, yes. uh, but I, your stuff has always been a really good value for me because, unfortunately, I really like to read. Uh, but uh, when, when Monsters came out, I got hit maybe five or six times and I went, I would be annoyed by this, except this is something I really want to get involved more with and i think that's that's kind of your what your client base on kickstarter is if they funded one or two of your projects they're interested in your projects yeah and you know we try to make so we we don't view backers at and i'm not saying other people do i right i i i'm certainly not saying that but we we try we don't view backers as fund sources, right? You're not just a source of money, right? Uh, our backers, in our opinion, are a part of our organization, right? They are, they are the people that make things happen for us, and we want, we want backers to feel like they're a part of us, right? We want them to feel like they're, they're, they're invested. So we do things like, for instance, we just actually ordered, um, we ordered backer rewards for everybody who's backed three or more of our projects, and those just came in, and we're going to be sending those out here pretty soon. So we got we uh, we we did a physical reward and a digital reward. So anybody who's back to the phys physical level um, gets these physical rewards, uh, which are just uh, they're keychain bottle openers that say uh, that say uh, "Silence in the Library" gold member. Um, and then for all of the backers that at a at, who who have backed us digitally and physically. Or and or physically, um, or we've got we got Michael Stackpole to uh, to write an exclusive story 
for those backers, and we're going to be sending that out to them very soon as well. Right, so we, we, we try to keep our backers engaged, and we try to make them understand that we see them as part of our organization, as part of what makes us successful. And, you know, I've had people tell me, you know, hey, listen, you guys send out too many updates. I just, you know, I, I, I'm just, it's annoying. And I get that. But I've also had a lot of backers come back to me and say, hey, listen, I'm glad you sent out three updates uh, because, uh, because it finally made me go look at it, right? Um, and, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I think, I think we probably lose some people by the fact that we update all of our projects on a regular basis to keep people informed. But I think we maintain a lot of backers as well. So it's, it's kind of, you know, figuring out where that, that nice middle ground is. And, you know, the other thing that we love to do with that, with updates, is we don't just want to, to use it as a, as a way of, of pimping out our own projects, right? I love backing projects on Kickstarter. I've backed over 70 at this point. Um, and, and I want... I, you know, I, when I see a cool project, a project that is just really neat or is something that I think that, uh, that people would really like or something that I think should happen because it's important, um, I want to update our backers. I want to let them know because I, I know that if I think it's cool, there are other people out there as well who think it's cool, who are going to think it's cool and might not see it unless I, unless I use our platform to point it out to them, right? Um, and I'm sure that there are creators out there who say, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of that. Yeah, we get we get a lot of thanks from other creators, and you know that's awesome. I mean, it's it's a community, right? Kickstarter's a community. It is. It is. Yeah, very much so. And I mean, there there's the creative forces like Silence in the Library that have kind of staked their claim. This is this is what we do. And I mean, how how many you've in the past two and a half years? 12 projects that's a lot 12 projects on kickstarter two on indiegogo yeah so that's a lot it is it's a lot and i got i gotta be honest you know the pace is uh the pace is is rather exhausting because we're a small organization it's not like it's just you know it's not like we have six or seven people working to, to make this happen we've got a we've got a couple of us and we're working on a regular basis to get this stuff out there so it's uh, it can get tiring. Uh, I think that we're probably next year going to slow down the pace significantly, just because we have a couple of larger projects that we want to focus on, and uh, and and make sure that we get them absolutely right. Right? I mean, there's there's some things that are just passion projects. We will always do Athena's daughters because for me, that's just a passion project as a. As a father of a 15-year-old girl, uh, I, I want her to, 15-year-old young woman, uh, actually, uh, sadly, she's growing up too quickly. Uh, <laughs> I know that feeling, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I want her to have role models that look and feel like her, right? I don't want her to look out there and say, Oh, only men can be heroes, or only white men can be heroes. I, I want her to, you know, she's a woman of color. I want her to be able to look out there and say, "Hey, look, there are these, uh, there are these people in media uh, that that look and feel like me, and so I know I can do those things too." So, pro projects like that, we're always going to do that. That 
You know, the illustrated uh, Pride and Prejudice was so cool. Uh, we've got a couple of we've got a couple of other illustrated classics, more along the sci-fi fantasy line, um, that we're planning on doing here in the next couple of years. So we'll probably do one of those a year. Um, and then, you know, I, I think seriously, I think next year you'll you'll see maybe two or three projects from us and uh, on Kickstarter, and uh, and we'll just focus hard on those projects. Now you said something interesting, uh, and that was you've you've had. 12 projects that have sat on Kickstarter and a couple on Indiegogo. Yep. And there's, there's this argument that I've heard over and over again when, when talking about projects. Oh, do it here, do it there. Uh, it's, it's vastly better to do it uh, with, with one group than the other. What made you choose to do a couple on Indiegogo and why and what's the difference for you? for you guys in doing it that way? So the, the first project we did on Indiegogo, we did on Indiegogo because it was a charity project, right? It was a charity anthology to raise money for um, C.J. Henderson, who was in the throes right. of his battle. Yeah. And, and so at the time, Kickstarter did not allow charity, char uh, projects that were, were charity, right? They've kind of changed the rules a little bit on that. You can have a charity element to your project now. But at the time, it, you just you couldn't do it. So we, we went to Indiegogo. And, you know, I, I, Indiegogo's great. I've got to say that what I found about using Indiegogo was that we had to do a lot more promotion outside of uh, the platform in order to get it to be successful, Right. Um, had we run that project on Kickstarter, it probably would have raised about twice as much money as it did. Um, but you know, but it, it was uh, the the Indiegogo platform worked. We we funded it. We funded it higher than the level we were looking for. So uh, so it certainly worked. It just required a little bit more legwork on the part of everybody involved. That's that's kind of interesting and. There, there. I guess were pros and cons to going to one platform than the other, but yeah. you seem to have found uh, pitched your tent quite well in Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, we well, and you know, we have developed a really great relationship with the uh, with the, the folks who are in charge of publishing for Kickstarter. Um, Margot Atwell uh, is an amazing uh, resource and just a really, really good person. Um, she, uh, I, she, Margo, of course, is one of the, one of the, the two people who, who runs publishing for Kickstarter. And she just has been more than willing to, to, to look at our projects ahead of time and give us feedback so that we could make them better. And, and invariably the, the feedback that she gives is, uh, is the kind that makes the project a much better project. She's, uh, she's, you know, she's been. She's very, very happy to to to, to personally uh, speak to to people, to project creators. She really cares about um, about seeing projects succeed on the platform. Not just because Kickstarter, of course, makes money from every project that succeeds, but also because she just really loves publishing and she loves reading and she loves books and. You know, her background was in publishing before she came to Kickstarter, and it just 
I, I mean, the, the amount of dedication she has and, and care she has to it shows. And, uh, and that relationship has been absolutely vital to us on, uh, on Kickstarter. But this ends up in, wow, 21 days. Yeah, and, and you know... And you're a little over oh, 75%, 80% there? Yeah, we are. So we're about, um, we're about $1,600 from reaching our... Oh, okay. No, we're, you're not. We're less you're than You're $1,100. Right. <laughs> All right. So we're yeah we're uh, our goal is seventy five hundred we're at uh, we're at almost six thousand we're just under six thousand so we're at about uh, fifteen hundred dollars from reaching our goal it's uh, you know I I really like to get to these goals quickly because well, you know so much of the cool stuff that we add to this is in the stretch goals and I just. I'd love to see those stretch goals reach so that we can uh, we can add all of those authors into it. It just you know there's some really amazing stories in there, and uh, it would just uh, it would it, it would be awesome if we could add every single one of them into it. Um, you know, like I said, I mean, I I I do this because uh, I do this because I love the I, I just I love the projects, right? I mean, I the, the truth of the matter is that anthologies as much as i love anthologies and as much as those are the things i love to do most silence in the library actually makes very little money off of these because we send the the lion's share of the money to the authors um so uh you know it's it's all about getting the authors uh getting them out there uh introducing them to new readers providing the readers with a great product and making sure that the authors get paid for what really is you know hard work and a, a skill set that's taken them years and years to develop. It's hard work for them. It's hard work for the editors. It's hard work for the, the, the guy who sits there and conceptualizes it from the beginning. People don't realize when you sit down to, to read a book, the, the kind of levels of, of work that go into putting that Hardcover together or that that file together for your ebook reader, it's uh, it's quite a process. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes it is. <laughs> Some of us are learning that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you guys have a project coming up, and it's going to be awesome. You've shown me some of it. I am really excited to see that out there in the world. Very shortly, absolutely. Ron, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for joining us. Uh, the anthology, the new anthology is called Monsters, Silence of the Library of Publishing. Ron Garner, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. Kriana, what's happening in the coming weeks? Well, next week we're talking to Rob Watts, who's coming to take us on a trip down the crooked roads through Cedar Grove one more time. <clears throat> and then on the 4th of July, did we not think this through again? We absolutely thought this through. Okay, Peter... Dudar? I don't know correct. how to pronounce. Really? That's Yay correct. me. Yeah. I'm better than you at this. Um, he's, he's coming <laughs> to talk about his book where spiders fear to spin. I will be absent for that show because I hate spiders. <laughs> that being said, Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, Rhode Island Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit ComicArthouse.com for all the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. 
Tonight's outro music provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on lawrencemademecry.com. Tonight's intro music provided by Rob Watts. Find more of his creations at robwattsonline.com and tune in next week to listen to him live. Dome? Nice segue. Thank you. I want to thank our guest tonight, Terry Summers from Northeast Comic Con. We'll see you there this weekend. And Ron Garner from Silence in the Library Publishing, your newest anthology, Monsters. I want to thank the cast. We missed Sarah tonight, but hopefully we'll see her next week. Oh, I heard a, I heard a baby. <laughs> baby robot, say goodbye. From the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, and our woman of words, Kriana and Zambrian. Thank you so much, ladies. And our guest baby robot. <laughs> this is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone.